Well, good morning, South Winds. Yes! You make up for like the 50 other people who are still going to come up. Hey, well, good morning, everybody. If you can hear me out in the lobby, church is starting. Come on in, you guys. Come on in, have your, guys, have your seats. Thank you so much for joining. Welcome to church this morning. For those of you who are online as well, thank you so much for joining us this morning for church. I do also want to acknowledge, thank you for those of us who are here who are watching online for con- your continued faithfulness to make sure that wherever we're at, that we can do church together. It is a powerful thing where we can do church together. Amen? Amen. So thank you, everybody. Welcome to church. Yeah, we'll leave those doors open because people are coming in, huh? So for those of you guys who don't know me, my name is Brian Andes, and I have the honor to serve South Winds as our worship pastor. Now, as you know, we are in um, a series this summer called Summer Songs, where each week, one of our pastors and many guest speakers have been teaching us different chapters of Psalms. Last week, Pastor Mike taught us uh, through Psalm 91, and he showed us what walking in God's blessing looked like. This morning, I have the awesome privilege to be able to take us through Psalm 95, where we get to examine what the Bible says, what God tells us about worship, about how to worship. And so already right off the bat, you can tell that the service is going to be a little bit different, right? Um, I figured we're going to be going through Psalm 95. We're going to learn about what it is to worship And I'm your worship pastor, and Mike gave me the mic and the privilege to bring the message today. So what better way to learn through Psalm 95 than with some song and some worship? Amen? Yeah, so so what we're going to expect this morning, we are going to go through, we're going to learn about Psalm 95 um, through preaching and through some of the scripture. We're going to worship together and learn through an actual response to each of these sections in music, and we're going to close out our service, and we are going to respond in obedience to what the Lord has to say in Psalm 95. And I also got to let you guys know, too, so uh, the band is all going to be up here with me the entire time, so for those of you who, who may wonder, don't think like, oh my gosh, it's so weird, the band didn't leave the stage, this is awkward, we did the best we can to keep them in the dark, but Adam wore a white jacket. <laughs> I love you, Adam. Anyways, so it's going to be a great morning. Can you, can, can you guys do that? Can we do that? Are you guys excited to come before the Lord and worship Him together? Thank you, guys. Thank you for setting the stage for the rest that will come in shortly. We still love them. We forgive them. So here's what we're going to do. Let's op- go ahead and open our Bibles. Let's, let's dive in. Open our Bibles or our apps. We're going to go to Psalm 95 together. All right, I think we have it up on the screen as well. Let's go through this. So Psalm 95, starting from verse 1, it says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice. 
Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on my oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. That's the word of the Lord. Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning humble and expectant for nothing but your presence. Open our hearts, open our ears to hear the truths that you have. Allow us to surrender whatever preconceived notions or expectations we may have that we brought into this place and help us to only focus on one simple thing, and that is you. Lord, we give you everything. We open our hearts. We lay everything down at your feet. And we just thank you again so much for your love for us. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So Psalm 95, let's do this, guys. So I've titled my sermon this morning in Psalm 95, A Call to Worship. Have you guys heard that term before? A call to worship? For those of us who grew up in church, that's a pretty common term. Even as a worship pastor, it's a term that I kind of glance over all the time. I'm going over a set. What am I going to do? use as a call to worship? Oh, I'll use this psalm or use this psalm. Uh, but I think before we even get started and to dive into the text, let's figure out what this means, a call to worship. What is a call to worship? First, let's take a look at what, it, what worship means. The definition of worship means ascribing ultimate value to an object and engaging your entire life as you do it. So the object, in this case, of our worship is God. Now, to worship God is to give our entire life to express honor through extravagant respect, reverence, and devotion. And so moving forward, what does it mean to be called? What, what, what is a calling? A calling is God's personal, individual invitation to carry out the unique task he has for you. God is calling you to worship. God is calling us to worship. And it's only through this invitation that we're able to respond, as it says in 1 Peter 2.9, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. So when we worship, we're doing what God has ultimately called us to do as his people. But it can be hard to worship, am I right? I'm not alone here. I can't tell you how many times uh, people come to me, and I feel bad. They don't, they don't have, they come apologetic, right? Sorry, Pastor Brian, I didn't really worship today. I'm not much of a singer, right? God didn't make me... Uh, a singer. He didn't give me with, with any kind of music ability. So if you just saw me like standing there, you know, I, I just, I, I couldn't really worship today. And I, I always tell them like, well, number one, no problem. There's nothing, there's nothing to worship. There's nothing to apologize about. And so right off the bat, I just want to tell you guys that worship isn't just about singing. Worship isn't just the 20 minutes or so before, you know, one of the preachers comes up and brings us the message Worship, as it is described, is something that we ascribe our entire lives to. Worship needs to be in everything we do and every breath we take. Worship needs to be a lifestyle. But 
But often, again, guys, it, 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 it's really hard uh, to remember that truth. I know, again, it, it, the liturgy that we have, the order of service that we have is let, let's worship and we sing. But again, I want to repeat this, that our worship has to be a lifestyle because God is calling us, God is calling you to worship him. And he's given us the blueprint here in Psalm 95 to live that life of worship, to show us what living a lifestyle of worship looks like. We can see in Psalm 95 that God issues us three calls to worship. So let's go through those. So number one, God calls us to, wor- re- uh, to worship through rejoicing. He calls us to worship through humble reverence. And he calls us to worship through an obedient response. So starting with rejoicing, how should we rejoice? What does it mean when God calls us to worship him through rejoicing? Well, David speaks about the way we should, we should rejoice in verses 1 and 2. So let's go back to the top of Psalm 95 here. Starting at verse 1, it says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come with him Let's come to him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. So before we go any further, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point something out. Right off the bat, David stresses singing. He says, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let's sing for joy to the Lord. He says, the Hebrew word literally means to give a ringing cry. It's in an emphatic tense that it might be better translated if we say, let's really sing for joy. So it, it, it's not a quiet word. It's a noisy word. David is literally saying, let's make some noise for the Lord. David's telling us that worship involves us coming before God with joyful and ringing cries. Again, as I said, I know I mentioned earlier that worship is more than just singing, but have you ever wondered why specifically in our church services we sing? Or in general, right? Because worship is a lifestyle. I believe everything that we do that gives glory to God is worship. Take Steph Curry, for example, right? Greatest shooter in NBA history. Every time that guy puts up a shot, what does he do? Gives it right back to the Lord. He is worshiping. But why in church don't we get together and shoot a bunch of jump shots in the name of the Lord? Right? We sing. We sing. And so let's go through these reasons real quick. So for one, we sing in church because God commands us in the Bible to sing over 200 times. Scripture commands us to sing our praises. Even Jesus himself sang songs of praise after the Last Supper. Singing can also connect us emotionally. You know, when we sing the types of songs we sing, you know, we always open up top with these like upbeat songs of joy and thanksgiving and and, and triumph over the enemy in battle that unites us. Or we can we can sing songs that are of lament and repent or even of of thinking about how Christ laid his life down. The Holy Spirit is using the music and the melodies and our songs to connect us emotionally And I even said earlier, it's something that can unite us. Think about it. Every Sunday, we come before him, this family, the Southwest family, what do we do? We unite in one voice, in one place, actually in many places online. We sing the same songs of praise and adoration and thanksgiving to our Lord, right? 
Now, singing can also be used to teach us. Because as you know, many of the hymns and the other worship songs that we sing, they're full of rich and theological text. The act of singing, it actually uses both parts of our brains, so therefore it can help to educate us, teach us, and others about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it's in that same uh, thought process that singing can also help us to remember. Have you guys ever had a song? Maybe it's a song that, that you listened to years ago, but it's a song that when it comes up now, you are instantly taken back, right? Not only do you, when that song comes on that you haven't heard for years, not only do you remember all the words and the lyrics and all the melodies and the music, but for some reason you can remember every single thing about that moment. You remember the the music. You remember everything around you. You remember what you're wearing. You may even remember the smells that were around you. And for some of us, maybe some of those songs bring up Not so pleasant memories. But either way, either way, it's clear. That's why God uses music. That's why God uses us singing. Because God who created us, who designed the way that our brains work and will remember things, he's designed us in such a way that music and singing help us to remember his truths in the way that sometimes speech or traditional education just doesn't. It says in Colossians 3.16, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Now this is just the first half of verse one. Let's move forward. Second half of verse on goes to verse one says, let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Now, David makes his point even more clear here with his instruction. He wants us to make a loud noise. He wants us to get loud. The King James Version translates it as, let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Other users of that word in the Old Testament all over the place refer to it too as shouting a war cry, giving alarm in battle, and even shouting in triumph over our enemies You see, our worship has power. Our worship can even help to combat the trials and evils in our lives. Either way, David's point is clear here. That the kind of worship that we need to bring to God, the manner in which we rejoice, should be loud, joyous, and enthusiastic. And so why? Why should we rejoice? Well, we should rejoice because he's the rock of our salvation. He is the foundation and assurance of our salvation. We rejoice in the fact that we get to know and are known by the creator of the universe. That we get to loved and be loved by our personal Lord and Savior. So with that said, This morning, church, God is calling us. God is calling you to worship, to rejoice in him this morning. And so let's go ahead. Let's stand to our feet. And I'm going to ask you a question here real quick. Do we we have a reason to rejoice? Yes? I gave the first service an excuse because it was the first service. But I'm going to ask this again. Before we enter his presence, before we make a loud, emphatic noise and give him some joy and rejoice... 
Do we have a reason to rejoice today? Amen. Let's go to the Lord. Let's worship. sing Amen.
Salvation, amen. So let's sing this together.
So sing it out. I needed rescue. My sin was heavy. But chains where you got the weight of your glory. I needed shelter. I was an orphan. Now you call me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my Jeez. Oh, jeez. Oh, man. I was about to say, that's what it's about, but give me a second. Take my breath. Jeez. Man. You know what? Pastor Mike said, Brian, you're young. You could both do worship and preach. I said, yeah, sure, no problem. <sighs> Little did I know I needed to, like, work out or get ready for this. It's like a marathon. Anyways, guys, that's what it was about. That's coming before him to rejoice. That's what it means to be loud and give him a joyous cry of praise. Amen? Man, yeah. 
Yeah. Let's give him praise. Okay. So again, we just walk through maybe in a new way, maybe a new refreshing way, what it means to come before the Lord and answer his call to worship through joyful rejoicing. Now let's take a look at how God calls us to worship him through humble reverence. How should we show reverence? Well, David shares about the way we show reverence starting in verse six. So let's go back to our Bibles. Let's go to verse six. It says, come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. You'll notice that David uses three terms to describe us humbling ourselves before God. Three expressions of adoration. Number one, bow down. Number two, kneel. And number three, worship. Even the Hebrew word he uses for worship means to prostrate oneself, which by definition means to lay oneself flat on the ground, face down, especially in reverence or submission. Reverence means to get low before God. Reverent worship, as it's being directed in this passage, may involve getting low physically, but in every situation of our lives, it always involves getting low spiritually. The essence of reverent worship for God is simply being humble before him and acknowledging his greatness. I'll say that again. The essence of reverent worship for God is simply being humble before him and acknowledging his greatness. As I was studying this truth in this text, you ever stop to wonder, there are so many things in life that we have to look up to. And the natural response is just awe and wonder, right? I, I was thinking about the time uh, when I was a little kid, man, my dad, he's my hero. And when I was a little kid, I mean, I'm, I'm an adult now, and I'm still a little adult. But when I was a little kid, I, I was really little. And I remember, man, there, like, I, I remember I would try so hard to beat my dad in a foot race. I could never do it. My dad was so fast. I could try to beat my dad at basketball. He was so good. I could never beat my dad. No one was a better singer. No one was a better musician. My dad was everything. And I remember he would come home. And I would remember vividly, I would be sitting there or standing there, maybe exactly this height, and I would look up to him, right? There he is. Wow, that's my dad. But for those of us who even have the privilege to visit places like, like Yosemite, you're down there at base camp and level, and you look up, and what do you see? You see Half Dome. You see this magnificent mountain, this beautiful work, a creation of art by the Lord. And again, you look up in awe. You can be anywhere in the world, and when we look up at night, what do we see? We see the stars. And again, we're filled with awe and wonder and reverence. And church, it's no coincidence that in all of these things, these natural things that we experience, we are put in a place, it's designed in a way where we are physically put in a low place, and we have to look up in awe and reverence of God. But you see, worship, worship means what we have to pay attention to that, right? 
We can go outside. I mean, I went outside this morning and I thought, there's no smoke. Look at the beautiful blue sky. Look at the hillside. Thank you, Jesus. I was in awe of his beautiful creation. We just need to open our eyes. That, that's another way we worship him in humble reverence. Now, coming before him in humility, it also means to be quiet and to be still. To be open to what he has for us, not what we can get from him. Now, church, I'm going to ask a pretty tough question here. How often do we come into situations in our life, or more specifically, how often do we come to church focused on ourselves? Right? I, 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 I'm guilty of that. I'll even share, for those of you who don't know, I was laid off at my last church when the pandemic first hit. It hit the church pretty hard. And so my wife and I were, were scrambling to try to find a, a, a new church or a new job for me. And thankfully, the Lord brought us here. But I remember, without even knowing, there was this checklist that I had that the church had to meet my expectation. You know, and I don't really like that church. They sing too many hymns, and I like them, but... You know, I like this other kind of music. I don't like the way that preacher preaches. I don't like the way the building looks. I don't like this me, 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 me. Am I the only one in the room that may feel that way? And so church, we're called to come before God, not worried about how big our issues are, but to focus on how great he is. So are you coming before him humbly today? Are you coming before him? Are you starting your mornings coming before him humbly? We should realize that when we worship God, that we are in the presence of the sovereign king of the universe. And it's this realization, it ought to humble us in a way that can even affect our actions. We need to get still, be quiet, and realize how small we are and how great God is. He's our maker. He's the God of infinity. He's the God who is so big that our minds cannot contain him. So these are just some reasons, many reasons why we should show reverence. But here in verse 7, the first half of verse 7, it says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. David emphasizes a powerful truth that the great God, the God who is so big our minds can't contain him, this God is also our God. Isn't that such a humbling realization? That the God who reigns supreme over all, over everything, is also our God. And he holds us in his hands. David describes us as the people of his pasture and the flock under his care. This is showing us that God is our good shepherd who looks after his flock. That's us. He looks after us with care. His pasture, his pasture is a place of safety, provision, and peace. Notice also that in this passage that David uses the word hand pretty frequently. David describes God as the one who holds the whole world in his hand. It goes on to say in verse 5, it describes God as the one who made the world, formed the world with his hands. Now what does this communicate to us? 
This communicates the humbling thought that our great God is also a good shepherd who holds each and every one of us in his hands so delicately. Jesus even used the same imagery in order to assure us of our salvation. We'll see here in John chapter 10, 27 through 29, it says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. So church, as we continue to worship today, I want to encourage us, let's lower ourselves before him in humble reverence. Let's continue to sing and be in awe of his sovereign power and majesty. Let's remember that he is ours and we are his. And in these next few moments of reflections, let's just be still, forget about everything, all of our concerns, Let's just focus on him. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand your feet. Let's go back to worship.
shouts of acclamation and lead me home with joy shall fill my heart then I shall bow with humble adoration in
That makes sense, church? This humble reverence, this posture of humility that we come to him. I want you to take note before we move forward. What we did in these last couple moments, we don't need music for that. To be able to walk anywhere and be in awe and wonder, look around. There's a reason to worship the Lord. There is a way we can walk as true worshipers of the Lord in every single moment, in every single day. Amen? Amen. And so just to recap, we learned what it was in Psalm 95 to worship the Lord through rejoicing. We just exercised what it could look like through song to come before the Lord and worship him in humble reverence. So now let's take a look at the last call here in Psalm 95 where we see how God calls us to worship him through an obedient response. How do we worship through an obedient response? Well, starting on verse 7, the second half of verse 7, David here gives us our last call here. He says, today if only you would hear his voice. So right there obedient response, we must listen to the Lord's voice. Church, God wants all of our attention. I'll repeat that. God wants all of our attention. Not a little bit. Not, not, not here and there. Not the hour or so I go to church on Sunday mornings once a week. He wants all of our attention all of the time. And even the scripture says, if you would hear his voice, I want to say, I want to challenge that and say, we can't just simply hear his word or his voice. We have to listen. There's a big difference. The difference between hearing and listening, hearing is defined as the process, function, or power of perceiving sound. Specifically, it's the special sense by which noises and tones are received as stimuli. Now, listening, on the other hand, means to pay attention to the sound. It means to hear something with thoughtful attention and to give consideration. While I was studying, I liked what it says in the RSV translation of the Bible. In that same scripture, it uses the term hearken to. It says, today, if only you would hearken to his voice. The definition of hearken to means to listen, to attend, or to heed what is uttered, 
to hear with attention and get this, with obedience or compliance, to hearken to. Now, I know I may be up here as the pastor telling you that there's a big difference from hearing it and listening, and I, I, I listed it out to you, the facts, but I got to admit, uh, I'll call out all the guys here, right? I'm pretty sure I'm not alone in really knowing that I struggle with the difference between hearing and listening. My wife is here today somewhere, and she will tell you that is a fact. Am I alone here, guys? Right? Right? You know, sometimes I can get so wrapped up in my own head in our discussions. I could be so self-centered that I'm not even hearing what she's sharing with me. I miss all of her emotions. I miss what she's saying. I miss her cues. I miss the total and complete point of what she's even sharing with me. And then when I try to respond, and we, guys, we, we should respond, yeah? I completely miss the mark. And to, to better illustrate this, I, I got to show you guys a clip. I don't know how somebody got this, but it's with my wife's permission. I'm going to show you what it actually looks like in those moments where my wife catches me hearing and not listening to her, not hearkening to her. So check this out. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? <laughs> so clearly that's not my wife, Carolina and I. But I, 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 I'm being honest here. That term she uses over and over again. And I swear, if someone were to take video or a picture of me in those moments when she asked me that question, I look just like Jackie Chan right there. I'm smiling because, oh my gosh, I just got caught. I don't know what she said. And I'm also smiling because it is hilarious. Every time she says it, I just think of this clip, right? But guys, take it from your pastor this morning. Don't do what I do. Don't laugh. <laughs> don't, don't, don't respond like that. But, you know, all jokes aside, right, there's a big difference between hearing and listening, and God wants us to listen to him. But in every situation, in these moments where God is trying to reveal himself to us, when he's trying to speak to us, what are we missing when we're not listening? What are we missing when we're not hearkening to his voice? To his word. What are we missing when we allow our own thoughts, our concerns, our self-centeredness to take center stage in our lives instead of the rightful place of Jesus? God doesn't want us to just hear him. He wants us to hearken to his voice because we can't obediently respond to his word or his voice if we haven't truly listened to it. Now, verse 8 goes on to say, at this, and at this point, too, in verse 8, you're going to notice there's a change in tone in who's delivering the message. Up until this point, we've heard from, we've been hearing from David, but now we're going to hear directly from God. God says in verse 8, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day in Massa in the wilderness. And so, as you guys know, this verse is referring to an event out of Exodus. You guys know what I'm talking about? Well, for those who don't know, there was something that happened in the Old Testament in Exodus with a guy named Moses, a group of people named the Israelites, and a Pharaoh, right? 
Pharaoh says, Israelites, you're going to do everything to me, for me. I'm going to make you my slaves. Moses says, no. He says, let my people go. God gives him all this power to combat the Pharaoh. There's a bunch of bugs involved, a plague. He gives Moses this powerful stick. Looks like the one that Gandalf used, right? And he, they, they get out. They get out of Egypt, and they're running, and they're like, oh, no. Here's this big body of water. Here's this sea. What do we do? Moses says, I got this. God gave it power. He hits the water. What happens? Red Sea splits. We did it, guys. Let's get out of here, right? That's what they did. They escaped slavery. God gave them salvation. God used Moses to set his people, the Israelites, free. So that sets the stage for what God is referring to here because after that moment, shortly, and it's in Exodus 17, 1 through 7. So uh, this takes place in the part of the story after they've escaped Egypt. God has promised them this promised land now that they're free, but they need to wander through the desert. And as we know, they wandered for 40 years. But just shortly into their journey, they started to get hot and thirsty and hungry, and they immediately started complaining. They quickly began to question Moses. They questioned God. And they even asked Moses, why would you deliver us from Egypt in the first place? Exodus tells us, that they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord here with us or not? Can you imagine that? They literally just experienced and witnessed, they were a part of God's miraculous power, his provision in their lives. He set them free from a life of slavery. But yet they doubted. They immediately forgot the greatness and sovereignty and the provision that God literally is still walking them through. Now, that's the problem God has with us there. That's what he had with the Israelites. He still has it with us. Even though we see him working, we forget once things get tough. And church, that's what God means by hardening our hearts. It's hard-heartedness like this that prevented a whole generation of Israelites from entering into the rest that was promised for them in the promised land. It's hard-heartedness like this that's going to prevent us from experiencing his full peace in our lives. And so the purpose of Psalm 95, David is encouraging us that cultivating a worshipful heart would help to prevent us from having a hard heart. David also makes it clear that the one thing that will prevent our genuine worship is having a hard heart that refuses to listen to, that refuses to hearken to the voice of the Lord. So we can't genuinely worship God and not obey him. You can't hearken to if your heart is hardened. And if you have a hard heart, you can't hearken to his voice. Those two, they're mutually exclusive. That's why God gave us worship. Worship, it helps to steady us and establishes us. So we see God at work, so it's harder to fall back in disbelief. It's harder for us to lose faith. Closing out the chapter in verses 10 through 11, it says, for 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on my oath and my anger, they shall never Enter my rest. 
That's heavy. That, that's really heavy. That's the reality that we'll live in if we aren't hearkening to Jesus. That's the reality that the Israelites went through for 40 years. For 40 years, he was angry with them. God offered the generation that came out of Egypt the opportunity to take the promised land by faith. But their unbelieving rejection of God's offer angered him for 40 years. Obviously, it was evident that their They went astray in their hearts. Something as simple as being hot, being thirsty, made it so easy for them to forget, to ignore God's presence in their life. They lacked a humble confidence in him as our creator and our redeemer and our provider. Verse 11, God concludes by saying, so I declared on my oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest Again, that, that's, that's super heavy. And I have to admit, even when I was reading this scripture, it's really hard to think about this God, this Old Testament God of wrath and anger. But church, he, he, was, he was angry. But we need to look back at how David described God in this chapter. Earlier in this chapter, it described God as our good father, our shepherd who watches over his flock. That shows us that God loves us. He loves us so much. So much so that he was angry every single day. What must have been like to be God? He sets them free. He puts everything on the line to set his people free. He gives them a promise of a future, of glory with him. And every day they forget. And for 40 years, day to day, they forget. They constantly put him to the test. He became angry, but he became angry because he loved us. And when we think about him in context of being a good shepherd, think about this. God was angry, and he made them wander for 40 years. So to me, that's not just God being up there pissed and angry at us. To me, that shows it's an incredible display of patience and love from our God, from our good shepherd. God, he loves us the same. He loves us the same, church. We may make mistakes. We may wake up day to day relying on our own strength and forget just like the Israelites did and harden our hearts. And God will be angry with us, just like it says in scripture. But God is our good shepherd and God loves us. We see here that his disappointment and anger with us when we don't hearken to him He wants us to have life and have it to the fullest, but we cannot enter that place if our hearts are hardened. We cannot enter that place of his rest. What does God mean by his rest? Rest means to depend on God's activity, not my own. I'll say that again. Rest means to depend on God's activity and not my own. Rest is peace that can only come from him. It's not a rest from the trials and tribulations of our lives, but instead it's a peace that can transcend all understanding. So it's inevitable. We're gonna have hard hearts, church. So what do we do? What do we do to soften a hard heart? We answer this last call. We answer that call and give an obedient response because that obedient response is for us to repent. 
That's the final call to worship. You remember earlier where we discussed uh, how singing can help us to remember. Well, the Israelites' problem was that in the face of their trials, they could not remember God's goodness and faithfulness in their lives, even though they had just witnessed his miracles and his provision for them. Again, that's the importance of worship. Worship brings us back to his truth and helps us to remember how present he is in our lives. So we're going to close off by asking us this question. What are we allowing to harden our hearts? What are we being distracted by that's getting in the way of us hearkening to, listening to God's voice in our life? Honestly, these past 18 months, they're full of so many reasons that can harden our hearts and so many reasons. I'm very guilty of this. In the past 18 months, you name it, I'm starting to act like we are starting to act like the Israelites. We're starting to lose hope in his promise. We're starting to lose faith that he will provide. So this morning, we're going to end this service in an obedient response of repentance. And I want to encourage us to surrender whatever it is that's distracting us. What is your desert? Just like the Israelites, what's your desert? What's stopping us from hearkening to the Lord? And I want to encourage us, we're going to worship, we're going to come before him in reflection, in these quiet moments as we've learned. We're going to come with him with humility and reverence. But specifically in these last few moments, I want us to surrender whatever desert we are struggling with. I mean, what can it be? Could it be your finances? Could it be our health? Could it be everything that's going on in the world? Could it be your politics? Could it be how divisive everything that's going on? Could it be a relationship that you're struggling with? Are you grieving a lost loved one? Or are you even walking into a season of plenty, a season of fruit where you're thinking, you know what, Pastor Brian, I'm doing pretty good. Well, I want to tell you, you should take advantage of these next few moments to lay that down to the Lord because that's not because of you, that's because of Him. It's in those moments where we feel like, I got this. I'm on my own two feet. We forget it. We got it because of the Lord. So church, let's surrender our deserts to Him. Let's surrender whatever it is that's hardening our hearts. And also, I want to challenge us today as the scripture says, to respond to him in these moments, to respond even physically, whether we have to actually physically get down on our knees to stay in your chairs with bowed heads, or if you're standing in a posture of surrender with hands open wide to the Lord, whatever it is, give it up. Let's give it up and focus on one thing, one simple thing in these next few moments, the next moments as we even leave this place, Whenever we forget, we need to focus on one thing, and that's Jesus. And everything in Psalm 95 will make sense if we just put our eyes set, our eyes upon Jesus. Amen? Let's go to him and worship.
I'm caught up in your presence I just wanna sit here at your feet I'm caught up in this holy moment I never want to leave Oh, I'm not here for blessings Jesus, you don't know me Just gone through the motions. I'm sorry. And I just sang another song. Sing me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. And I'm sorry when I've come with my. God, that you're in love, take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. I'm caught up in your presence. I just wanna sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment. I never want to leave. Oh, I'm not here for blessing. Jesus, you don't know me anything. Nothing else will do Oh, I 
Coming back to where we started Where I first felt your heart Felt your love, Jesus Cause you're all that matters You're all that matters I'm caught up in your presence I just want to sit here at your feet I'm caught up in this holy moment I never want to leave from blessing and Jesus you don't know me anything and more than anything that you can do I just want you I just want Jesus, it's all about you. Thank you for your reminder this morning that worship is so far beyond our understanding, that worship is this lifestyle that we need to live for you. 
Thank you again for giving us this simple direction and this blueprint on how to live our lives and worship for you. And it's simply to seek you and to be in your presence. So we thank you, God. We thank you, God, our Father, our good shepherd who looks after us with so much love and care. So again, we've laid everything at your feet. God, forgive us for all that we've made it over you. We humbly submit and commit our lives to you. Jesus, we love you. And again, we thank you for everything. We thank you for your love. And all God's people said, amen. Let's remember today, huh? Let's remember these moments. I mean, we already know that the Holy Spirit is going to use the music, these moments, to moments where we forget, moments when we're like the Israelites, when trials come and they will come. God's going to use a morning like this to remind us that he loves us and to remind us that all we need to do is simply come before him and seek him. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys so much again for joining us, for walking through this moment or this morning of, of, of worship and what it is to live our lives of worship. And on that note, before we go, we have a few announcements, but I want you guys to check out. We have a member of our church who has committed her life to live a lifestyle of worship for the Lord. Check this out. Care Nights is one of my favorite ministries here at Southwinds. CARE stands for Connect, Assist, Restore, and Encourage. And that is exactly what we do in all the groups that we run on CARE Nights. We offer people help with basic life skills, such as uh, managing your finances. But we also run groups that help people deal with pain that they're recovering from, like our grief share group or our divorce care group. We also run healthy marriages, healthy parenting groups. And then we have our mental health program as well, where we help people who are struggling with mental health issues learn a biblical way. People think that in order to come to a life group, in order to be in a care group, you have to believe in Jesus. We have had people in these groups who have no belief, but who need to learn a different way of living. You probably feel like you're not ready. You probably feel like you don't know enough. And I know this because that's the story of pretty much every facilitator that we have. There is something really special about sitting in a group with someone who is hurting, watching them come that first week. They're not sure why they're there. They're not sure what they're gonna get out of this, but all they know is that they need something different. And they're not even sure if Jesus is the answer. And then you make your way through the material and every week their face is a little lighter. Their shoulders are a little lower. Their demeanor is a little brighter. One of the things I hear a lot from facilitators is that they think they need to teach the material. They need to teach the group. Care Night is not about teaching. Leading a life group is not about teaching. It's about facilitating. The Holy Spirit will take care of everything else that needs to happen. One of the ways that I've been so excited to see this care program develop and change is that we are offering now biblical leadership, learn skills to help you advance in your career, advance as a Christian, and to help disciple others. You can grow in your, in your real life. You can grow outside the church by learning the biblical way of doing things. 
the more that I have learned to live my life by the word, the better my life has gotten, the easier my life has gotten, the stronger my relationships have become. I would really encourage you to take a hard look at your life and say, God, where are you asking me to grow next? And then find or create a group that matches it. How many of you guys enjoyed worship this morning? Man, that was so awesome. That was so good. Thank you, Pastor Brian. Hey, so I, I don't know about you guys, but when you guys go to like one of your favorite restaurants and you order like an appetizer and it was like, that was so good, but you're like, I still get dinner. That's what I kind of look at as life groups. Like Sunday morning worship, that's the appetizer, but life groups is really where the meal comes. And we wanna encourage you, get plugged into a life group because that is where God works out all of those things that he's been working with you this morning. Those calls of repentance. Maybe God brought something into you going, I really need to address that. Join a life group, get plugged into a care night where you heard Teresa talking about. We're getting plugged into a core life group where you're going, I need to be discipled even a little bit further. Or in a regular life group where we're talking about some of the sermon-based groups where every week you hear God's challenging message through one of our pastors and then all of a sudden you get to talk about it in your groups. And if you're online, we wanna remind you that you can also join us on a Zoom life group as well. And so one of the things, again, before you guys leave here, just know that there's a tent, a couple of tents out there. There's gonna be some life groups. If you're a facilitator, we're gonna encourage you to get out there and just get plugged in. You're gonna have QR codes all over this campus where all you have to do is just kind of scan it with your phone. If you're saying, hey, I don't have a phone, uh, then we're gonna encourage you to get a piece of paper because we've got telephone numbers out there. Again, there is like no way you're gonna leave here without knowing how to get plugged into a group. So please know that we want you to get plugged in. The other thing we also want you to do is we're getting ready to get back into the fall. This is kind of the cool thing. I can't believe it's already like mid-August, but as we're getting back into the fall, we are definitely looking to get more people back into serving, back into our helping ushers, greeters in every single area, including children's ministry, student ministry. Again, every ministry is definitely needing some of you. Actually, I'm gonna say that all of you to get plugged in so that we can continue to reach more people. And then as always, continue to be generous because we know that God is doing an amazing thing. And you can drop an offering at one of the boxes in, as you leave, or if you go online, if you've downloaded our app, make sure you can download it, you can give online as well. But we know that God is doing amazing things, including what you just saw today with through Pastor Brian. Uh, man, in just like eight songs or however many songs we were doing, I was like, this is so cool. I wanted to keep on going. So we're gonna actually come back and do eight more songs now. No, just kidding. All right, guys, hey, God bless you guys. Have a great Sunday.